0: Welcome to Passionately His, a ministry of Dr. Jeff Loach and St. Paul's Church in Nobleton, Ontario, Canada. Coming up, we'll hear a message from God's Word. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast and check us out on YouTube at the link in the description where you'll find past services and messages that will inform your mind and form your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here's this week's message. When I was in university, during my first two years, I attended a church in Kitchener in which I met many deeply faithful people. And one of them was a senior lady whose name was Lillian. She lived a very simple life. She had a small, modest home that was never going to show up in a magazine. Her cooking was never going to be assigned a Michelin star. That could be because she worked for Uniroil at the time. Uh, But she offered her cooking with great love. And as a student, free food always captured my attention. Heck, I'm not a student anymore, and it still captures my attention. But every month or so, Lillian would invite me to come to her home for lunch after worship. And particularly after I discerned my call to ministry, she took a great interest in me. I had no idea how I could possibly repay Lillian for her kindness. But one day, I found a way. She loved to listen to Christian music and good preachers on cassette. Some of you might not be old enough to remember what a cassette is. Uh, That was what came after the 8-track and before the compact disc. Uh, I grew up using cassettes. Uh, And uh, what she found was that her cassette player kept eating up her tapes. And my dad had taught me how to demagnetize the head on a cassette recorder, and how to use Q-tips and rubbing alcohol to clean the heads and the the rollers and this kind of thing. So I offered, as often as she needed it, to clean Lillian's tape player, uh, and she then would, of course, feed me lunch. But it wasn't just about food, fellowship, and fiddling with a tape player. Uh, Lillian was a woman of deep, deep prayer, and in that, she mentored me and discipled me. When we started lunch, she would pray. When I finished cleaning her tape recorder, we would pray. And when she prayed, heaven opened up. So deep was her faith. She prayed with courage and she prayed with scripture. She always seemed to have her Bible open on her lap and she made liberal use of it, giving God's word back to him as she prayed and praised him and as she interceded for the needs of the world, and when we were together, for the needs of a young Christian man who had been called to the ministry. Though she went to be with the Lord a number of years ago, I still remember our times together in her sparsely furnished living room with great fondness. If you don't have a Lillian in your life, you need one. Search one out. There are some even within our own fellowship. And as I read our scripture focus for this morning, Lillian came to mind immediately. While the circumstances were vastly different, the longest prayer recorded in the book of Acts is here. And it reminded me of this kind old lady whose deep faith in the Lord Jesus Christ has inspired me and will inspire me for the rest of my life. Last week, we heard the story of the apostles Peter and John being locked up and then warned not to talk about Jesus following the healing of the man who was born lame. That warning, though, went unheeded. Peter and John told the ruling council there was no way they could stop telling people about Jesus. There was no way they could stop the work of the Holy Spirit in miracles and signs and wonders. So when they were set free from their hearing with the Sanhedrin, There was a powerful and interesting response about which we are going to learn in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 31. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. Now, the other believers could also be translated their own people. And here again, literally, we have the the term hoi idioi, the idiots. We learned last week uh, that that was a translation for ordinary people. Again, next time you call somebody an idiot, you may not be insulting them as much as you think you are. When they heard the report, all the believers, now probably not all 5,000 of them, probably a smaller group of them including the apostles, All the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. I want you to think not of a liturgical prayer where everybody is saying the same word. It's probably more like going to a Korean prayer meeting where there are many voices going up all at once. Or it is one voice speaking and all the other voices giving their own amen to that. But it was a prayer in one accord nevertheless. And this is what it was. O Sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant. Now, uh, before I carry on, just take note of the fact this is, O Sovereign Lord is how the prayer starts. That was the same term that was used when people referred to Caesar as Lord. And here they are applying it to Jesus. It referred to one with absolute authority. The sovereign Lord is the one who created the world, and he is more powerful than those whom he created. So the response of Peter and John's friends was not to cluck their tongues, not to complain about the government. Their response was to pray. After they addressed God as sovereign, the one in charge, they quoted the Old Testament, first two verses of Psalm 2. Why were the nations so angry? The word that's used for angry there is like spirited horses uh, wanting to run wild, but still being tamed by the reins. Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? Literally emptiness. The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. So this prayer took Psalm 2 and applied it directly to their situation. They demonstrated that God's sovereignty is revealed in history. They demonstrated that praise of the Lord is greater than focusing on their own concern. Another way to phrase that, maybe this is memorable for you, is prayer emphasizes praise over problem. Prayer emphasizes praise over problem. When Lillian would pray with me, no matter what was going on in my life or in the world, prayer, praise of the Lord was the focus of her prayer. And prayer emphasizes praise over problem. Verse 27. In fact, this has happened here in this very city. So again, their prayer puts Psalm 2 in their context as they remembered what was done to the Lord Jesus. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. God brought good out of evil, he foreknew. And now, O Lord, verse 29, And now, O Lord, hear their threats, and give us, your servants, Great boldness in preaching your word. This is their one plea, right? God knew the threats made against his servants, and they prayed for boldness to deal with future threats. And as we'll see going forward, there were lots of future threats. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So they also prayed for more miracles, signs, the power and the presence of the Lord to be done to demonstrate that their faith in Jesus was real. This was was all about evangelism. This is all about sharing their faith, which they had been sternly warned to stop doing. After this prayer, verse 31, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. The meeting place shook. This was God's amen to their prayer. The early Christians' response to the shaking was to be more unshaken in their proclamation of the gospel. This was a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit that would dispel any fear they may have had in the midst of Peter and John's troubling experience with the Jewish leaders. And a lesson for us is that when we experience God in a fresh way, one of the first things we receive is courage. Last week, I suggested that all we wanted for Christmas was persecution. And of course, you would say, not really, Jeff. It is going to come. But now we can say what we want for Christmas is courage because that will give us the strength to be able to face the persecution that will come. The Apostle Paul echoed this when he wrote to the Roman church in Romans 8.31. He said, if God is for us, who can be against us? You believe that this morning? You believe that if God is truly for us, that doesn't matter who is against us. No matter what oppression may come your way, no matter how you're being persecuted for being a follower of Christ, that if God is for you, that is all that matters. Instead of shutting them up, the threat to the disciples from the ruling council gave them courage to face whatever would come their way. And that would come, that courage would come through common fellowship and the sovereignty of God and encouragement from Scripture. They stuck together on like today's trend where, you know, most people today, if they have trouble in their life, what do they do? They retreat in on themselves and they don't ask for help, even though there are always people who want to help. Most people just retreat. Oh, no, no, I'll take care of it myself. And you know who some of the worst people are about that? Christians. We need each other. We need each other. These guys stuck together. They trusted that God knew what he was doing, even when the evidence may have suggested otherwise. They spent time in the word, knowing that it was the place to find the will of God, to find encouragement, to find comfort in the midst of persecution. When you gaze at God, your problems receive only a glance. Prayer emphasizes praise over problems. And all this gave them and can give you the courage to be obedient. It's not very easy to do in a vacuum, and not easy to do just listening to me tell you about it. So here's a few things that will help you with courage in times of crisis. First, you need fellowship. Fellowship is a word that's tossed around quite a lot in society, but it's a word that's been stolen from the church. The word fellowship comes from a a, a word that, that refers to a deep and abiding sense of community. It's made manifest in a few different ways. We experience fellowship by being the church. Notice I didn't say going to church because we come to worship and that's extremely important, but we are the church. We are gathered as the family of faith. Uh, the, The believers and their children gathered for worship for action, for fun. As I said before, Christianity is a team sport. We need each other. And we experience fellowship when we have a Christian friend who understands us. Peter and John, after they were rebuked, they went to their own people. We all need, whether it's one or more, we need our own people. People who love Jesus, who can also love us, and encourage us and strengthen us when we need it. We have Christian fellowship, too, when we journey with another believer who will listen while we unburden themselves. That may be your own people, as I mentioned a moment ago, but could also be somebody like a spiritual director who can listen to you without judgment and ask you important questions and pray alongside you and for you. Fellowship helps us build our courage to follow Jesus no matter the cost. Second, to have courage, you need to have an understanding of the sovereignty of God. Historically, there have been people who have been part of the church visible who have not believed in the sovereignty of God, and I've never understood how they try and pull that off. A God who is not sovereign cannot, by definition, be God if God doesn't see all time and space and can't superintend it, he's not God. If God isn't in charge, he's not God because somebody's got to be in charge. It's not Satan and it's not you and it's not me, so it must be God. To call him Lord is to call him sovereign. To trust him means to trust him fully, believing that his plan will come to pass, whatever it is. The trick is to trust in that plan and to surrender ourselves to the divine will. Here's the deal. Positive thinking is not enough. We can't say, let go and let God, because that's a form of determinism that borders on laziness. We can't say, I'm just going to live my best life now. Because without complete trust in God's sovereignty, we can't possibly live our best life. By definition, our best life is the life that God enjoins us to live. During the early days of the Protestant Reformation, an envoy from the Pope came to meet with Martin Luther. And you know that's probably not going to be good news. And that envoy threatened him with what would happen if he continued to trumpet his ideas to reform the church. And the envoy warned that all of Luther's supporters would desert him. And what would he do then? Where would he be? Luther's answer was salient. Then, as now, in the hands of God. Then, as now, in the hands of God. That's courage. Can you say that this morning with certainty, that no matter what happens to you, you are confident that you are in the hands of God? Because the reality is this. (laughs) You are, whether you like it or not. God can be depended on, always. Now, belief in the sovereignty of God does not make us immune to fear, but we can address that fear with our belief in God's sovereignty, helping us choose obedience over compromise. And that's tough to do today. We live in a time when succumbing to compromise is alarmingly common, even for people who claim to be followers of Jesus. I mean, there are churches that are changing their minds on moral issues on which Scripture is clear. Believers are assenting to lifestyles they previously found abhorrent because they don't want to seem unloving to a friend or a family member. The sanctity of human life has gone out the window with citizens and governments alike, leaving unborn children and the sick and the elderly vulnerable. I could go on, but you get the idea. It would be easy to compromise, but it would not be faithful. We need to be courageous, and that is much easier said than done. One more thing. To be courageous, we need to be saturated in the Word. That's a fancy way of saying, read your Bible every day. If we want to make the most of Christian fellowship, if we want to embrace the sovereignty of God, we need to know the will of God. We need to hear God speak. And when we don't read our Bibles, the voice we hear speaking that we think might be God, probably isn't. It could be the voice of the government, the voice of scientists, the voice of your neighbor, the voice of the media, or the most common one, the voice of yourself. When we confuse the voice of God for the voice of ourselves, we kick God off the throne of our lives and instead sit there on our own. And when you sit on the throne of your own life, When you're sovereign, when you're in charge, it's likely that God will just let you alone in that, and it will not go well for you. Why would anybody choose self-determination when one can place oneself in the hands of the one who made us? I mean, when your car breaks down, do you take it to your accountant to be fixed? That's not speaking ill of accountants, it's just speaking the reality of strengths that vary. But even if your accountant is a shade tree mechanic, he's been, you know, rebuilding his 1971 Cutlass 440, that's probably not going to be a lot of help to you with your 2023 Prius. Meep, meep. I used to drive one of those, by the way. On the contrary, You take your car to your mechanic who's gone to school to learn how to care for all kinds of cars and how they're supposed to operate. If you want to hear the voice of God, read your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible in a language that you can understand clearly, that's modern, and in a print size that doesn't make it hard to read, I can help you with that. And, by the way, if you would like to help me have a stash of those Bibles with a gift, let me know, and we can make an arrangement that way. So be saturated in the Word to build up your courage. Read the story of Peter and John like we've been reading these days, who were thumbing their noses at the authorities who told them not to teach about Jesus. Read the story of Daniel in the lion's den. Read the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being sent to the fiery furnace, Read the story of Stephen, the church's first martyr, which we'll study in a few weeks in Acts. Now, to be fair, I've chosen these examples that are not exactly fairy tales with happy endings, right? Yeah, Daniel was protected from the lions by faith. The three friends came out of the fiery furnace unscathed by faith. But Stephen was stoned to death for his faith and his courage. Peter and John lived many years to conduct their ministry, but each of them was martyred for his faith and courage. But listen, if you're going to die, wouldn't you prefer to die with your integrity intact? Wouldn't you prefer to die having done the will of God who made you, who saved you by grace in Jesus Christ, and who sustains you in this life and in death by the Holy Spirit? A man who lived in the shadow of Dr. Martin Luther King during the civil rights movement was a theologian named Howard Thurman. He was better known in the African-American community, but for many he was unsung. Thurman may be best known for one thing that he said, Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is more people who have come alive. For the follower of Jesus, what makes you come alive is going to be different from what makes your secular neighbor come alive. For the follower of Jesus, what makes you come alive is to do the will and purposes of God. To glorify God and enjoy him forever as the Westminster Shorter Catechism tells us. And to do the will and purposes of God, you need to know the will and purposes of God and to know those things you read your Bible, the scriptures of the Old and the New Testaments. And as you read scripture, pray. Ask the Lord to illumine his word. This is why I'm a big fan of reading small portions of scripture at a time, because it's like eating. If you bite off more than you can chew, you're probably going to choke. So why do the same with Scripture when you can take a small portion each day and fully digest that? Ask the Lord to help you apply His Word. While all Scripture is equally inspired, it is not all equally applied. Ask the Lord for wisdom. But also, check out the church library. There are resources in there that can be helpful to you as you seek to grow in Christ. And as you share in fellowship and revel in the sovereignty of God and read his word, ask God to give you courage for battle because being a disciple of Jesus today in our world is, without a doubt, a battle. Years after Peter and John told the Sanhedrin what they could do with their rebuke, and after they gathered with the believers to pray for courage, The Apostle Paul gave some advice to the church in Ephesus, and with those words from Ephesians 6, I will close. Just listen. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm." Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. God has given you. The tools for battle. Have you put them on? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you for the example of Peter and John who knew that not even the authorities could keep them from proclaiming the truth of Jesus. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit, we pray. So that our courage will be strengthened as we go into the world to stand up for our faith. We know this is not easy. So we pray for each other as we undertake this challenge. Thank you for the gift of each other, for our sisters and brothers in Christ, whose fellowship strengthens our resolve to follow him. Thank you that you are in charge and can be trusted with our lives because you made us. Thank you for your word, which is a lamp to our feet and a light for our path. Illumine us with your word, that this sign of your love will fill us with love for a world that is separated from you. We ask this in Jesus' name and in his power. Amen. If you're a disciple of Jesus who is struggling to have the courage to proclaim your faith we'd love to pray for you. Use the connection card at stpaulsnobledon.ca slash connect or speak to me in person and I would be glad to pray for you. And if you are someone who's never made a commitment to Christ, may I encourage you to do that today. Trust in the God who made you, who offers you redemption by his blood on the cross, who offers to empower you for service by the Holy Spirit. Let me know you made that decision today, and I will rejoice with you and equip you for this life's most important decision. Thanks for listening. Again, please subscribe, and if you have any questions or would like prayer, go to stpaulsnobleton.ca slash connect and fill in the connection card. I'll be glad to follow up with you. Blessings for your day.